exciting to think that we're doing something today that has been done in churches around the world for 2,000 years. We meet, we sing, we look at Scripture, we're encouraged in what God has done and is doing even in our world on this day. Just, just think about it. When the sun came up at the dividing line of one day to the next, when the sun came up on the first part of Sunday in the first part of this world, and as, as the earth rotated, and so each different time zone, uh, it began to be Sunday, and it began to be Sunday, and, and Sunday, and Sunday, and Sunday across the time zones all around the world. And people gathered together in churches all around the world on this day. So some of the people that already rose up and worshiped God on this day, they're already heading back to bed. And we're just getting started. And what a blessing it is that we're part of what God is doing all over the place. It's also a blessing that we have a word, a scripture that, that we can trust, that we can look at. And, and so the question that we're going to start with this morning is, can you trust the Bible? Can you trust the Bible? And we're going to look at why you can. Father, as we look in your word, we pray that you would stir our hearts, that you would challenge us. Thank you for loving us. We were so undeserving. And Christ died in our place, and we rejoice. Thank you for giving us scripture that we can rely upon and be encouraged in, that we can learn and grow. Thank you that someday we will stand in your presence in awe of who you are. We're already amazed and in awe, but it'll be so much more glorious when we see you. Thank you for your grace to love us and forgive us. Thank you for your commitment to stay by us. And now on this day in this place, we ask you to do two things. First of all, we ask you to convict us of our sin, Lord. If there's one here who has never trusted Christ, may they see their need to trust Jesus as Savior on this day in his house. Father, secondly, we ask you to encourage us and give us the capacity to believe on, trust in, Follow and obey your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you trust the Bible? Well, I want you to think about the way that we prove things in court. If you go into court, there's different types of evidence that they use to try and prove something. First, there's the scientific method, and in the scientific method, you have to be able to repeat something over and over in a lab. So, like, I mean, sad to say this, but you can't prove that you were born scientifically. You can prove that you're alive scientifically. They can poke you, prod you, test you, and they seem to like doing that the older you get. And uh, they can do all that stuff, and, and you can prove that you're alive, but you can't prove that you were born or when you were born or any of that. But you can prove it scientific, I mean, historically. So they look at the evidence, there's scientific evidence, there's historical evidence. 
And so if you go into court and there's a trial going on and you're sitting in the jury box and you have to evaluate things, they're going to present some scientific evidence, maybe DNA, maybe different things, this knife, this place, this time. They're going to present that. But then they're also going to present historical evidence and eyewitness testimony. And so in the Bible, we don't have the scientific evidence, but we have the historical evidence, and we have eyewitness testimony. And so this morning, I want you to think about the historical evidence that we have in Scripture. And I want to read a short passage from First Peter chapter, Second uh, Peter chapter one. I start to say First Peter chapter two, Second Peter chapter one. We're kind of working our way through Second Peter. And we're now toward the end of the first chapter. And uh, Peter says in verse 16, We did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He said, we didn't make this stuff up. We saw it. This is eyewitness testimony. But were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That's the Mount of Transfiguration described in the Gospels. And Peter was there and he saw Jesus in his heavenly glory for just a moment, for just a short period of time. And then verse 19. And so we have the prophetic word, all the prophecies of Scripture... Uh, the prophetic word confirmed in the life and ministry of Jesus, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. You need to pay attention to the prophecies and the person of Jesus Christ. Verse 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. You know what this means? This means there's one interpretation. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, it all depends on how you interpret it? Ever hear somebody say that? The truth is there's only one interpretation. There's lots of applications, but there's one interpretation. So right here in this room today, we have Dawson. And Dawson has the Word of God that says, children, obey your parents. Right? So... He applies that in his life that he has to submit to the instruction from his mom and dad. But his mom and dad are here, and they don't have to submit to their mom and dad because they're adults. And when you become an adult and you live on your own, if you're an adult still living in your parents' house, still have to follow the parents' rules. But if you're an adult living on your own, you, can, you decide your own rules. But when you're a grandpa, every now and then, I, I start to get in the way of Megan disciplining her kids. I'll start to say something. And the other day I told Anna, I said, Anna, you need to do this. And Anna said, well, Mama said I needed to do that. I said, well, do what Mama says, because the Bible says children obey your parents. And... <laughs> It, it changes. So there's different applications of it. When we look at the way God worked in the dispensation of Israel, and it said, don't eat pork. That was for the nation of Israel. That's not an assignment for us today. 
So there is no scripture of any private interpretation. This group cannot have their own interpretation and, and decide this. Not only that, you can't have your own interpretation. I heard a preacher. I was at a pastor's gathering up in Phoenix. And there were like 400 pastors and church workers there. And this preacher got up, big name, nationwide preacher. And he said, when you look at this passage, here's the traditional interpretation of that passage. And he said it just right. Now, here's the more liberal interpretation of that passage, which didn't make any sense. It ignored what was actually written. Now, here's my translation. And then he gave his own translation. It didn't make any sense, and I never went back. You can't have your own interpretation, and you can't pull some verse out of Scripture. Every part of Scripture is interconnected. The weirdest thing, you go into the doctor, you have a little bit of sore throat, it affects all kinds of things in your body. Stub your toe and see how easy it is to walk with just one little bruised toe. It's all interconnected. And that's true in Scripture. So you can't have your own private interpretation. A single verse doesn't have its own interpretation. No Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy never came by the will of man. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so on the screen you have this phrase, the original autographs. Well, what does that mean? In in the beginning of the Scripture, when God's Word was being written down, it was being written down in manuscripts. It was being written down on papyrus, on scrolls. It wasn't typed out and typeset and nicely printed for you or on your screen for you. It, it came, and, and they had to write it down the first time. There was a first time that God's Word was spoken. There was a first time that it was recorded. What Peter wrote here, there was a time when Peter sat down and wrote this or had somebody else write this for him. Paul always used to scribe, and somebody else did the writing for him. And so they wrote it down the very first time, and then those were copied. But the original scrolls, the original autographs is what they called them in studying the Scripture, most of the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Most of the New Testament written in Greek. How many of you are fluent in reading Hebrew and Greek? Nobody in this room. Uh, there are some people out there that can do that. But uh, the, So it had to be written down. And those manuscripts, verse 21, said the Holy Spirit inspired the writers. So the guys who wrote it down, they didn't just sit around one day and say, Hey, man. I think I'll write a letter. They were inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, and they wrote it out. And uh, they wrote carefully, meticulously, communicating God's message to the people. Numbers 36.5 says, Moses commanded the children of Israel according to the word of the Lord. Deuteronomy 5.5, 5, Moses said his mission was to show them the word of the Lord. 1 Samuel 15.10, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. The word of the Lord came later to Nathan the prophet dealing with uh, King David. The the word of the Lord, the Holy Spirit of God, spoke through Elijah and Elisha, some of the great prophets in Israel. He spoke through Isaiah and Jeremiah. He spoke through Amos and Nahum and Micah and Malachi. They wrote 
down what was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. And John 1.1 identifies the living Word as the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament Scriptures, the living Word. And He revealed to us not only God's will and God's Word, but also God's heart. And so in our uh, Articles of Faith, It says that we believe in the verbal, plenary inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture as originally written in the 66 books of the Old and New Testament. Verbal means that every single word of the Bible was inspired by God. It wasn't just randomized. Uh, The words exactly proclaim God's message. Plenary means that all parts of the Bible are God's Word. Now, some parts are more important, more applicable to your life, not more important, but some parts are more applicable to your life today than, uh, you know, you can read the story of Ruth and you can learn some things from Ruth, but uh, when you you study in the New Testament and some of the letters to the churches, it gives specific instructions that you need to follow. Um, So some of it's more pertinent or more applicable to your life, but it's all God's Word. Inspiration means that we believe the Holy Spirit directed the mind and the pen of the writers. So although their writing reflects their own personality, Peter wrote different than John, who wrote different than Mark, who wrote different than Jude, it reflects their personality and their particular style, but the words that ended up on the page were exactly what the Holy Spirit of God wanted. It was God's message and not their own. And inerrancy means the Bible is originally written, had no errors at all. It not only contained the Word of God, it was the Word of God. So the Scriptures alone, we call it sola scriptura, that's the sole and final source of our faith. We evaluate things on the basis of what the Scripture says. And we do or not do based on what the Scripture says. And uh, so, just real Skip that next slide, Jeff. Number two, the scribes were prolific perfectionists. The scribes were prolific perfectionists. What does it mean to be prolific? A lot of it. There's writing, there's a lot of writing. And what does it mean to be a perfectionist? Yeah, no mistakes. They want to get it exactly right. How many of you live with a perfectionist? <laughs> What's his name? <laughs> the whole row, all the hands went up. <laughs> oh, all right. So, when, when, by the way, there's a good side to being a perfectionist. If you go into surgery and the doctor says, you know, I think we can do a pretty good job here. I, I was really glad when I went in and the doctor was going to make a cut on my leg this big and cut out the knee and put a new thing in. He said, I've done this. A lot of times, hundreds and hundreds of times, and I know exactly what I'm doing, and we're going to fix this leg for you. And if he'd said, you know, let's give it a shot. It might work. (laughs) You ain't knocking me out and putting me under that knife, you know. So there are times you want some perfectionist standards in there. And the scribes were prolific. They they wrote a lot, and they copied a lot, and they were perfectionists. In fact, they were so detailed and so oriented that if they made a mistake in the middle of a scroll, say they were doing the 66 chapters of Isaiah, and they got to chapter 57 and they made a mistake, they would burn the scroll and start over because they wanted God's Word to be presented accurately. 
this training they had to endure. They, I can't, I can't write worth anything. I've got arthritis and I used to write birthday cards and anniversary cards to everybody. And this year I said, I can't do that anymore. So I can wave and say, happy birthday, Pat. It's hers this week. Uh, uh, but I can't, I, I just can't do that much handwriting. I have enough to be able to write my check out to my tithe check to the church. But they paid meticulous attention to detail. They had to copy it accurately. They treated it as it is a holy book. And the scribes had different skill sets. So one of them, all he did was work on Isaiah. And another one, all he did was do Hosea. And the one in Isaiah and Hosea, they maybe didn't do the, they just did their own one. And they did it every time. And they did it meticulously and accurately. And they made copies and copies. And so those are available. The 39 Old Testament books describe the beginning of the world, the beginning of history from the creation of the world and the beginning of humanity from the creation of Adam and Eve. And they teach the promise of a redeemer first promised in Genesis to save God's people. The 27 New Testament books describe the coming of that very Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, when God, Christ, the Son of God and God the Son, was born into humanity. He lived among us. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, they make sure, they tell us that He died for us and He rose again. And, and uh, in the Scripture it tells He's coming again for us. The letters to the early churches and early church leaders from Romans through Jude, they tell us how to live and how to make sure our church uh, brings glory to God and honors the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the way, He is the head of the church. It's not Pastor Green, it's Jesus Christ, and all of us submit to Him. Genesis begins with the promise of the Redeemer that would come through Adam and Eve. And Revelation ends with a final invitation. Whosoever will, come. Receive redemption. Trust the Savior. Be satisfied in your soul. Since the days of Jeremiah the prophet, political leaders have tried to diminish the importance of Scripture. They've tried to destroy the message that God sent to men. But the Bible stands in tribute to the work of God preserving and protecting the Scripture. If you talk to people in a public education, in university setting, teaching humanities, they teach the Bible is one of the great classics of literature, right? But they also teach that, you know, Plato is one of the great, not Plato kids, Plato, okay, just to clarify, that Plato is one of the the great uh, thinkers in human history. And so they teach Plato and the Bible as if they were equal classics in human literature. But, you know, there's a difference in the preservation of the Scripture because in the Bible, uh, I'm I'm sorry, the Bible, in the, the Gospel of Mark, there's more than 24,000 scrolls in the Gospel of Mark, written down by the scribes, penned for us, communicated and preserved. There's less than five of the works of Plato. 
God preserved his word. The writing of the scribes carried it so that the original autographs could be preserved and carried down and handed down through generations. And so eventually, once the printing press was made, we could all have our own copy of Scripture. Thirdly, there's the internal testimony. Earlier, uh, Megan had prepared a, a sheet Normally, when we get up to read Scripture, we like to actually hold the Scripture. But this was a bunch of different verses. And, and if, does this highlighter show up to you guys out there? So there's two verses here. Those were highlighted to, to let me know those were the two I was supposed to read. And so I didn't get up and read somebody else's, although I was really tempted to read the one after me and then see what Todd would do when it was his turn to read. But, you know... Megan put that together, and I did not want to get on her bad side. So, um, But we read 16 different verses about the truth of God's Word. But there's more. She limited it to 16 for time's sake. We could have presented more than 100. We could have presented 500 verses talking about the truth of God's Word. 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Uh, we just read here in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as, spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Those who had dedicated themselves to follow the Lord, the Holy Spirit spoke into their lives, and they wrote down the Word of God. Psalm 119, verses 89, 105, and 160. Forever, O Lord, your Word is settled in heaven. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. Now, elsewhere in the scripture, God says, and, and God swears by himself, and it says, well, God swears by himself because he can swear by no greater. There's God. And God's word testifies that it's God's word. But there's other supposedly holy scriptures that say they're a revelation from God. And, and uh, we'll look at that in just a minute. Number four, the unity and consistency of the message in scripture. The unity and the consistency of that message. The Old Testament was written over a period of 1,500 years by more than two dozen writers. The New Testament was written during the first century what's now called before the, the common era. Uh, it was for a long time called the year of our Lord, uh, Adodomini, A.D., and now it's called the common era. But in that first century, uh, that's when the New Testament was written. Nine different writers wrote it. Uh, Luke wrote the majority of the words, not the majority, but the biggest group of words were written by Luke. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. The most books were written by the Apostle Paul. He wrote beginning with the, the tremendous theological treatise of the book of Romans and ending with a very personal letter to Philemon. Uh, the, he wrote the most books. 
the 39 Old Testament books, the 27 New Testament books. It all fits together. There's a unity. There's a promise back at the beginning of history. And Adam and Eve, and they'd sinned against God, and they were being put out of the garden. And, and God said, a Redeemer will come from the seed of the woman. And he points toward the future. And then we go through 4,000 years of human history. And then at the beginning of the Gospels, the story is told, and Paul wrote about it in the church in Galatia, that when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. And all of those prophecies from all of those 37 books were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And the few prophecies that were not fulfilled during his first advent, when he came as a baby, they will be fulfilled when he comes again as a conquering king who rules and reigns. And so all this theme of Scripture it points to, talks about, looks back on the Lord Jesus Christ and his mission to save men. There's a unifying theme. There's a consistent message in the Scripture. Number five, the specific, accurate, verifiable fulfillment of prophecies. So I said there's some other works. There's people who claim this to be like we have the Old Testament and the New Testament, and then now another New Testament of Jesus Christ. But it contradicts the first ones. And so it's not consistent with the revelation. There's people gathering in places today, and they're certain their faith is accurate. Uh, there are people who follow the Koran, the Book of Mormon. There are people who follow different things called holy books and divine revelations from God. But, but the Bible stands out because the, the prophecies that were very accurately fulfilled and not debunked. And uh, I could... I could go into an hour or two of what's wrong with some of those other books. And scientific evidence disproves it. Historical evidence disproves it. And we go to the Bible and the evidence affirms it. But let's just look at in the life of Abraham. Okay, Abraham was the father of Israel, the father of the nation of Israel. God called him out of Ur of the Chaldees and God promised he was going to have a son. And Abraham was 75 years old. He'd never had a kid. And God said, you're going to have a son. And so he thought, this is great. Praise the Lord. I'm excited. And then he turned 80. And then he turned 85. And then he turned 90. And then he turned 95. And then he turned 100. <laughs> wow. I mean, that's like older than Gary. He turned 100. And then... Finally, he got his little boy. I thought I was old, having a brand new baby in my uh, late 30s or mid 30s or something like that. I don't remember. Uh, and and I, th I felt like I was old, but I wasn't 100. And uh, God fulfilled his promise exactly as he said. And then Abraham's son was named Isaac, and Isaac had a 12th son named Jacob, a couple of sons, 
Esau and Jacob. Jacob was the son of promise, the inheritor. And so uh, Jacob then had 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob's name got changed to Israel because he wrestled with God. And in fact, that's what the name Israel means, wrestling with God. And, and God told Abraham that his descendants would in, eventually end up enslaved in another country for 400 years, but God would bring them out with a mighty hand. And so God worked through human history. God worked through the evil schemes of Abraham's great-grandsons, all the other guys of the tribes. And, and he worked through the evil behavior of the Midianites who would buy and sell people into slavery. And they bought Joseph and they took him down into Egypt and they sold him into slavery. And so Abraham's great-grandson Joseph ended up being exactly where he needed to be. He went from being in prison for being falsely accused of assaulting a woman. He was falsely accused. She tried to assault him, and he ran away, and she was angry. And so she laid false charges against him. And now Joseph is exactly where he needs to be. And he goes from the prison cell to prime minister of Egypt. And he rules over that region of the world and saves thousands of people from the fierce famine. Then it goes on. And it goes on. And they're in Egypt. And, and uh, they need to be delivered. And, and oh, this baby boy hidden in the bulrushes called Moses rises up. And when he's 80 years old, God uses him to deliver the nation of Israel exactly as God said he would do when he told to Abraham that 425 years before. And that's exactly what happened. And there are a lot of supposed religious books out there. But the Bible is accurate in its prophecies. And we can look at historical evidence repeated over and over and over. The Bible is accurate. In fact, there have been lots of well-known guys who have tried to disprove the Scripture. Uh, some of them because their wife became a believer and they were annoyed. They wanted to expose the falsehood. And they ended up becoming believers because they studied the historical evidence that supports the Scripture. But there's another side of it, and that's the life-transforming aspect of Scripture. It can change who we are. And in the life-transforming personal impact, first of all, it exposes the sinfulness of man, including you. I know you're thinking, oh, me? One of my sons had a friend say, you know, I went to church before, and I didn't feel comfortable because that preacher acted like he thought I was a sinner. And my son said, I think you're a sinner. And they looked shocked. And he said, I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we need to be saved. And so Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. If I were to hire you to wash my car and say, I'll pay you 10 bucks to wash my car, then when you're done washing the car, I owe you 10 bucks. That's the wage that you earn. The wages of sin is death, but, one of the greatest words in Scripture, but shows up in a big trend, mankind's condemned, but there's hope in Christ. But the gift of God is eternal life 
in Jesus Christ our Lord. Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for us. Romans 5, 6, and 8 said, and then Romans 10, 9, and 10, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. For with the mouth confession is made to salvation. And I'm sorry, I reverse that. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You believe and you confess and you pray and you ask him to save you and he will. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are we saved through faith. Not, not of ourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You are a sinner. That's the bad news. The good news, Christ is the Savior. And he will save everyone who puts their faith and trust in him. There's a life transforming personal impact of Scripture because this book changes lives. We were talking about Joseph a bit ago, and Joseph obeyed the word of the Lord. Joseph rose up from prison and became prime minister of Egypt. Saul obeyed the word of the Lord and went from being, went from being a vicious man to a great apostle and a loving missionary. Moses obeyed the word of the Lord and went from being an anonymous shepherd in the fields near Midian to one of the greatest leaders in the history of the world. Most of the people in the Middle East and in Western culture point back to Moses as an amazing leader. Rahab trusted the word of the Lord and went from being a harlot to a woman of God. And we're going to see her in heaven. And when I obeyed the Scripture... When I obey what's taught in the Scripture, I can be a better husband, a better dad. I, I can be a better grandpa, a better neighbor, a better pastor, a better friend, a better man, because the Word of God gives us instruction to help us in all of those areas. And you see, God didn't just save me from hell. He saved me from me. He saved me from the person I was becoming before I met Christ. I was just talking with my sister and brother-in-law. We were at dinner together Thursday evening up in Sholo. And my sister had to tell my brother-in-law stories about me when I was little. And I, that's my BC. That's my before Christ part of me. And, and before Christ, I was not a nice person. I was not a nice kid. And I caused grief to my older siblings. And, and she told one of the violent stories of me uh, reacting to my older brother and uh, injuring him. And my brother-in-law thought, well, it's, it's kind of funny now because my older brother and I are alive and we both got saved and Christ has radically transformed my life. Uh, but the truth is, Christ didn't just save you from hell. He saved you from you. And even if you got saved when you were young and you didn't make a mess of the first years of your life, you got saved like my wife did when she was very young and didn't have all that baggage in there to get over, well, he still saved her from who she would be without Christ. And he saved you from who you would be. Maybe you wouldn't be violent. Maybe you'd be arrogant. Maybe you wouldn't be vicious, but you wouldn't be godly. 
you wouldn't walk with God in the land of the living. You wouldn't have Christ in your life and the Holy Spirit inside you. Christ saved you from who you would be. And the Bible tells us this. The Bible shows us how to believe and trust in Jesus. The Bible teaches us how to obey and follow Him. And the Bible encourages us to do the right thing, even when doing the right thing hurts. The Bible encourages us to do the right thing, knowing that someday, maybe not till heaven, we'll be able to see the benefit for having done the right thing. We believe in faith. We obey in faith. Like Peter, we are not following cunningly devised fables. We are believing and trusting in God's holy word. So Peter says, We did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And if you were in court today, and the judge viewed the evidence, and the eyewitnesses spoke, and there was clear and compelling eyewitness testimony, the judge would rule in your favor or against you, depending on the circumstances, whether you were the bad guy or the good guy. We can believe and trust God's Word. Not everybody does. Not everybody will. But those who do can be blessed by God and their lives can be transformed. Because the Bible says this book is living and powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces the dividing of sunder of soul and spirit. This word can change your life. But it won't do a thing if you leave it on a shelf. You have to read it. You have to think about it. You have to evaluate it. You have to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And then study and obey God's Word. Because it is God's Word. It's, it's not fake. It's real. And we can trust it. The eyewitnesses who saw Him in His glory on earth recorded for us the words the Holy Spirit wanted us to know. And the translators meticulously translated it so that we could have it in our language and understand it. We have the Word of God. There's a hymn we're going to end with this morning. It's God has spoken by His prophets, spoken His unchanging Word. If you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you want to know what that's about, talk with somebody here today. Step out, come to the front, talk with somebody. We want to show you what it means to be saved from the Word of God, how we can know that we're going to die and know that when we die, we'll be in heaven with the Lord. Because a lot of people say, well, I hope so. You don't have to hope. You can know because God told us how in His Word. And if you're a believer here and you're not serious about learning God's Word, maybe you just come to church because you enjoy it. It's not too bad. 
free entertainment, right? Uh, every now and then I do something stupid, and that's kind of funny. But listen, someday God's going to evaluate your life. And the more you know and obey of this book, the more fun you're going to have when you stand in his presence. It's kind of like the kid who's been obeying dad, and then dad comes home, and that kid's happy to see dad. But the one who wasn't obeying, not so happy to see dad. God will still be your father, but he wants you to love him and follow him according to his word, according to his spirit.